You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it seems like a few coaching changes have already begun as some other things start to get ironed out. So first of all, the um, first shoe to drop, at least the one that I'm aware of, is that um, defensive quality control assistant Justin Hood um, accepted a job as the secondaries coach on Raheem Morris's staff over in Atlanta. By the way, th- this is all prompted because, as I talked about, Matt LaFleur went out and told them, it's okay for you to look for jobs if you want. And, and if you're smart, and if you're on that defensive staff, you go ahead and do that. Because although it's possible you'll retain your job, that's the head coach telling you there's a good chance that you're about to be replaced. So get out there and find something while you still can. So Hood really quickly found something, and that was followed pretty quickly by uh, Jerry Montgomery. I don't know exactly where he's going to end up, but um, he has officially decided to move on and is looking for different opportunities. The way that it was phrased here, according to a Matt Schneidman article at The Athletic, is that Montgomery will not be returning and is actively searching for other coaching opportunities. So it, it almost sounds like the Packers, you know, they told everybody, you're free to go look elsewhere. They told Montgomery, hey, I mean, you're free to look elsewhere and you kind of have to because you're not going to be coming back. Now, I don't know if that is because um, Halfley had already met with the guy and made a determination or if he has somebody pegged already that he knows he wants to come help him with his defensive front, which is going to be a, a different front. Uh, being 4-3, you may just have a defensive line coach, which would be your interior guys as well as your pass rushers. I don't exactly know. But they felt that Montgomery wouldn't be the guy to bring that, so he will be moving on. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing some announcements about people getting hired, but so far those are the only two as of right now that are um, not returning. There's a lot of people talking about Downard potentially staying because there's some ties, but. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I mean, ultimately, if that is the decision, then I will, you know, I'll go along with it. I I don't think he's, I I know he has not done a very good job up to this point, but he'll be asked to do different things under a different defensive coordinator. So maybe uh, he can do that. I don't know. But as far as additions, um, surprisingly, the first coaching addition that was made was not on the defensive side. It was on the offensive side. NFL quarterback Sean Mannion, former uh, Minnesota Viking, he'd played with some other teams as well is going to be hired on as the, well, not as the quarterback's coach. What is his official title? I don't know. I can't find it. But he will not be the quarterback's coach. 
because the quarterback's coach will be Tom Clements. So it sounds like they're going to bring in Mannion as an understudy, which, by the way, which is freaking fantastic. I kind of thought that they were replacing him. There was some talk that maybe Clements was going to be looking to retire. I mean, he was already retired. He came out to help Rodgers, so it makes sense that he's going to be looking to retire pretty soon. But um, sounds like that's not the case. Tom Clements will, um, I, I believe the, the, the word is he will be returning. And uh, the word on Mannion is that although he wasn't maybe the greatest quarterback in the world, he was really well known for being extremely intelligent. And, and it was kind of known that he was going to end up on a staff one day. And so it's very cool that the Packers snatched him up. And what an unbelievable situation to be in. I mean, it's, it's a similar thing to what we do with Jordan Love, right? He's a quarterback who doesn't know how to just jump in and be a quarterback's coach necessarily day one, but you get him to be sort of an understudy under a very good quarterback's coach. And when Tom Clements retires, he's got a job waiting for him. It's not to say it's a guarantee that we'd end up getting to keep him, but it's great to get our hands on him first, give him this opportunity to learn in a great offensive system under a great quarterback coach with a great quarterback and a great offensive mind as the head coach and a job just waiting for you possibly within a year. Um, I've seen Minnesota Vikings fans are already really upset. They knew that this was coming, uh, that he was going to be looking to join the co- the um, coaching ranks and were really hoping that they could uh, lock him up, especially considering they're probably going to be looking at uh, quarterback changes in the very near future, especially if you're getting a young guy, you'd like to have a a high quality quarterback mind to be able to help to grow them. So um, very, very exciting. I mean, could not have imagined a better situation to where it's like we're hiring him, but we're keeping Tom Clemens there. And we just also have this really good quarterback who's going to be able to help coach up Jordan Love and bring a quarterback's perspective to stuff and to help, you know, our guys understand things. And then, you know, again, potentially to be the quarterback's coach of the future. Now, I don't know that that's the case. I'm just saying that's, I have to assume that would be the vision, and that's pretty fantastic. So anyways, uh, I want to start off with this just because why not? Very short clip of um, Mike Golick, Mike Golick Jr., to be specific. Didn't know much about him, but former football player, currently on ESPN Radio. Here is what uh, his thoughts were on the hiring of Halfley. Jeff Halfley's leaving to go to the Green Bay Packers. So uh, if you want, yeah, if you if you want to go take over at Chestnut Hill, they got an opening for you. D coordinator job for Jeff Halfley? Yeah, D coordinator. He'll be the Packers D coordinator. Man, I tell you what, chaos around the line of scrimmage when I think of Jeff Halfley. His best days at Ohio State beforehand, but at Boston College, bodies up around the line of scrimmage, a bunch of former first round talent in that front seven. I'd be very excited about that if I was a Packers fan. And I think we're starting to see a lot of that. I, I mentioned last night, a lot of people are looking at the 49ers, which makes a lot of sense. I'm personally leaning more toward the Jets, which is just a, my estimation is the uh, man coverage version of the 49ers. But either way, there's a ton of that mugging up on the on the line. You saw that even 49ers versus Packers. And it's one of those, you don't know who's coming and who's going. And I, I even talked about that a little bit when I was talking about, um, for the life of me, I will never get this guy's name. The freaking Badger guy, Jim Leonard, that one of the things he would do at Wisconsin is you get a bunch of guys up on the offensive line and then you drop a bunch. And the benefit of that is they have to act as though everybody's coming because you don't know who's coming. So that dictates to them. They know you're going to drop a bunch of guys and maybe you're not. But even if they even if you told them we're dropping three of these guys, it doesn't change anything. So it's like having seven guys on the line of scrimmage and seven guys in coverage at the same time. And so there's there's just sort of this aggressiveness up front, right? We've heard about you know, 4-3, we've heard about middle field close, we've heard about more man coverage. This is sort of another element of it is aggressiveness up near the front of the line. We did see a little bit more of that from Joe Barry, I think, down the stretch. You started to see 
you know, Quay Walker up there and whatnot, and even brought Quay Walker a little bit more, and successfully. I know early on it was just a complete waste of time trying to bring him on a blitz, and down the stretch it really started to click, whether that was just him understanding it better or them just doing a better job of, of opening things up, which I think it is because it was so congested down there early on that, you know, Quay would try to run somewhere, and it's just like, it's just a brick wall, there's nowhere to go. So they figured out how to open things up a little bit for him, but you know, and then, then on top of that, another thing, supposedly, and again, I don't know what he's going to end up doing. I don't think anybody truly does. But another thing is, you know, blitzing from multiple positions, which means, you know, one of the things we hadn't seen a ton of from Joe Barry was like slot corner blitzes, safety blitzes, boundary corner blitzes, right? Occasionally, but rarely. And so I think just having it to where we're showing you something, but you have no idea. I mean, we can mug up a bunch of guys in the line of scrimmage, drop a ton of them, and then bring a corner. And this just absolutely creates havoc on an offensive line. And it's it's kind of cool to me that, you know, you've got you know, Golic here who his first thought is when I think of this guy, I think chaos on the, you know, line of scrimmage. And I love that. And, and again, it, it really does click with what a lot of people are posting when they're posting all this 49er stuff. There's a ton of that. Just guys all over. Um Another guy, and this is what um, uh, Relax on uh, uh, Twitter posted. It's I-T-Z-Z-S-K-L on Twitter. But his comment was, Cheeseheads, we have our own Brian Flores. That's another guy. That's another scheme that you can look at and say, yeah, kind of like that. You know, New England. And New England, honestly, it might not even be a terrible comp. It might even be a better comp than the Jets. I know he, he doesn't really have a lot of ties with that New England-style defense, but you're talking 4-3, and you know who plays more man coverage than even the Jets is New England. Like, New England and the Giants are are at the top of teams that play man coverage. Now, it's still sub-50%, but if you're talking real heavy man coverage, New England could be a team to kind of take a look at. So, Brian Flores and, and those types of guys who come from that style, you know, it might be a similar kind of deal. I don't know about Minnesota. I don't know if they did that because, you know, again, it, it depends on what kind of guys you have. If you don't have the corners, you might be playing a little bit more cautious. But but yeah, you're looking at Wink Martindale and the Giants. You're looking at, you know, Bill Belichick in New England. Um, Dallas. Dallas would be another example of a team that you could look at that's, you know, 4-3 team, middle field close, man coverage. And again, the issue with San Francisco, if you want to use that as a comp, is they're very, very zone heavy. So and it's possible that Halfley goes in that direction based on, you know, just trying to adapt to the NFL. I don't know, but I don't think so. So I wouldn't look to that. As, I mean, they're honestly very comparable with what Green Bay did from a man-to-zone standpoint. I mean, it's nearly identical, maybe slightly more man. So that's the reason I don't necessarily love the San Francisco comp. And again, I chose the Giants or the Jets mostly because although they're not the most man-heavy, again, the Giants in New England and Dallas are more so in Cleveland. The Jets do come from that 49ers style of system. So when you combine 49ers and man coverage, you get the Jets. So I just wanted to look at a couple things here, and um, let, let's just say that that's where we're headed. We're headed toward the the Jets. So one of the questions that I had had was about, um, in the draft, Tavondre Sweat. A lot of Packer fans like him. I like him, but I've just been questioning whether a guy that large, that big old nose tackle type of guy is where you're headed. And I thought, well, it's possible. Um, you know, if you're trying to collapse the pocket, et cetera, et cetera, maybe, I don't know. However, I know that in the 4-3, uh, although the guys on the edge are a little bit bigger than your outside linebackers, the guy in the interior, um, the guys on the interior tend to be a little bit smaller, especially obviously compared to like a nose tackle or whatever. So I looked at it. Every single interior guy 
for the New York Jets. And obviously, some of these guys line up on the outside. They're interchangeable, et cetera. But uh, PFF lists them as defensive interior, so that's what we're going to call them. Quinnen Williams is 6'3", 303. Solomon Thomas, 6'2", 256. Quinton Jefferson, 6'4", 291. Al Woods is 6'4", 309. Tanzel Smart, 6'1", 295. Jalen Holmes, 6'5", 283. Bruce Hector, 6'2", 296. And Perrion Winfrey is 6'4", 290. There are more guys that are sub-300 on their defensive line than there are above, well, probably above 300. But beyond that, nobody's even 310 on this entire defensive line. Quinnen Williams is 303. Al Woods is 309. Al Woods is the biggest defensive tackle that they have. So from that standpoint, if there's anybody on the outs, it's TJ Slayton at 330 pounds. Kenny Clark is also larger than anybody that is on the um, New York Jets team. Now, I'm not saying they're going to get rid of Kenny Clark because he's, you know, five pounds above what anybody on the Jets have. It's more about the role. And I think Kenny Clark can do what you're generally asking an interior defensive lineman do in a 4-3, which is to get into the backfield and be disruptive, which I think Kenny does better than this sort of nose tackle role that, and, and I know he's gotten away from that recently, but that sort of nose tackle role slash mentality of, you know, hold your ground, take on multiple blockers, et cetera. I think if you cut Kenny Clark loose and say, just freaking get into the backfield, I really think that's where Kenny's going to be at his best. And if they want him to cut a couple pounds, fine. But aside from that, I mean, you got Carl Brooks, 6'4", 296. That seems perfect. Devontae Wyatt is 6'3", 304. And you know he's an athletic freak. He plays like he's 275. And then Colby Wooden at 273 seems really small. And I don't, I don't know what he's currently weighing at. But you compare that to some of the Jets interior guys, I mean, that's right in line. And then there was also a question for me as far as, do we have a couple guys that are maybe undersized on the outside? And again, if you look at the Jets, not necessarily. I mean, they, they do trend big, but I don't even think they're as big as our guys generally. You know, Jermaine Johnson is 262, which is kind of on the low side. Uh, Michael Clemens is 270. John Franklin Myers is 288. Uh, but aside from that, Carl Lawson is 265. Bryce Huff is 255. And then Will McDonald, who they just drafted in the first round, is 241 pounds. So again, it's really just going to come down to function more than anything. And granted, I mean, you, you want to draft for a guy that can do the job. And if he's if if size generally helps, you, you want to trend in that in that direction. And if you're going to go undersize, you got to make absolutely sure that they can do the job. But as far as, you know, a- answering the question for myself, is it completely out of the question to have, you know, say a 255 pound guy in our new 4-3 defense? No. Will, again, Will McDonald, 240. That's small for an outside linebacker. I don't think the Packers would have taken Will McDonald if, I, if I'd have known how small he was. I don't think I would have even bothered talking about it. So again, that was kind of the first thing I wanted to do. And you can, you can dig in a little bit more. I'm not going to look at the size and everything else of corners and, and all that, because that's kind of nonsense. But I was curious about the defensive line because that is going to be a bit of a change. And I was wondering how uh, how strict it was going to be. And again, not everybody runs the same thing. Like I said, there, there are four, three defensive teams who have the two interior guys listed as defensive tackle and nose tackle. So they do have a bigger guy in there. So it's still possible. But I was just, I was just curious and I wanted to see how they're constructed. And I guess I was a little surprised how, and maybe the Jets are just that way. They, they want really small speed guys. That's just kind of how they're built. I don't know. But I was surprised at how small the interior and exterior guys are. But other than that, pretty slow news day. So why don't we do this? Let's take our first break. We'll come back and um, let's look at the Senior Bowl a little bit. Maybe some East-West Shrine game. Like I said, I've been taking a lot of notes. So we'll peel through some of those notes. I get to brag about my boy Lauby. And uh, we'll go from there. 
you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Hit me up on uh, Venmo, Pack on a Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so since we're just getting our feet wet in the NFL draft stuff, this is a good place to um, it's a good place to start. This is kind of everybody's first official post college football look. This is also where a lot of questions are answered. Teams kind of get their hands on these guys. They get to have conversations with them. They get to watch them up against, you know, NFL level competition. Honestly, and they get to ask them to do NFL type stuff. So a couple notable things. We'll start with the wide receivers. One of the many really big guys is Adonai Mitchell, six foot four, about two hundred pounds. He wasn't at the Senior Bowl, but one of the notes of you know sometimes you just hear stuff as people are walking around. Apparently, there's a lot of issues, not only with uh, medical concerns, but also character issues. So probably unlikely the guy's going to end up being a Green Bay Packer. He's going to need a real strong pre-draft workout if he's going to be anywhere near the first round. Uh, Brennan Rice, Jerry Rice's kid, stood out a little bit, especially day one. Can already see his his draft stock has gone up a little bit. He's moved up eight spots to uh, 
pick 88 right now. The guy with some negatives was Devontez Walker out of North Carolina. Doesn't look like he's moved much as far as the consensus big board is concerned. Apparently he had quite a few drops in the game. Some questions about his physicality and his ability to make some of the difficult catches. And uh, the note here says that he created more questions than answers. And that he probably did affect his draft stock pretty negatively. So he's currently sitting at pick 54. But, you know, some of the other positive guys that are moving up, very likely going to end up passing him. Guy who had a great day was uh, Jamari Thrash out of Louisville. He's currently at pick 102. He jumped 21 spots. He's probably jumped up more than just about anybody. I'm trying to look through here. A lot of guys that fell. Yeah, as far as the wide receivers are concerned, this is the highest jump of any wide receiver. He was listed as the most consistent receiver through the first couple days. Dominated with speed, route running, and reliable hands. Just flying past people on deep routes. Noticeable second gear. He's a smaller guy, though, so 5'11", 185. Not sure how that's going to translate as far as what the Packers are looking for, especially if he's kind of a mid-round guy. I don't know what his place is for the Packers, but he had a good day. Uh, Georgia's Lad McConkey, wide receiver. He's currently sitting at 39 right now, so kind of right in that back of the first, top of the second range. Some of the notes are that he stood out as an exceptional route runner, solidified himself as the top slot guy in the draft. Probably, again, not very useful to us. Very weird, weird one here. Malachi Corley out of Western Kentucky dropped 33 spots. I don't know what happened because all the notes I have are very positive. Uh, potential hidden gem, comparisons to Tank Dell, comparisons to Amon Ross St. Brown, strong hands, burst after the catch, skilled release. He's targeted on various levels of the field. I don't know what caused him to fall. I'm guessing for some of these guys, too, it's, it probably has to do with they're not in. A lot of this is like mock drafts and um, big board. So if a, if a new big board comes out and not a lot of people actually have Corleone, and somebody has him as the number 300 spot, it's going to hurt his overall ranking. So somebody just put him in a stupid spot. But again, smaller guy. Skip several of these because they're all five foot eight guys. Uh, Ricky Pearsall out of Florida, six foot 193, not massive, but at least he's normal sized. He's jumped up seven spots up to pick 73, so top of the third round. Some notes on him. It says, uh, when it comes to my tape study of the year's draft class, it's hard to find a wide receiver who's more consistent than Pearsall. He's performing at the same level this week, no matter who is guarding him. He's shown off his route running ability and consistent hands during one-on-one drills. Stood out for consistency, route variation, and ability to make contested catches. They listed him as a potential day two steal in a deep receiver draft. Another somewhat disappointment is Xavier Leggett. There were some positives here, but it says, entered with round one hype, but failed to meet expectations, partly due to inaccurate height listings and inability to separate vertically. His performance late in the week improved, but the initial disappointment has shifted him to a second-round prospect. Now, to be fair, he's been considered a second-round prospect on the consensus big board for a long time. He's sitting at 50, but um, again, no uh, no real help here as he kind of weighed in and measured in less than expected. But the, uh, the man of the hour, the guy with the absolute most ridiculous amount of notes from the Senior Bowl, Roman Wilson out of Michigan. Here's a quick summary, some bullet points from uh, what happened at the Senior Bowl with Roman Wilson. It says, significantly boosted his draft stock at the Senior Bowl, emerging as one of the top two wide receivers during the opening practice. Analysts compared Wilson's impact to the NFL to that of Tank Dell, suggesting he could quickly become an indispensable, uh, could become indispensable to his quarterback by creating throwing lanes and mismatches. His technical skills, including his ability to generate separation and strong hands at the catch point, make him well-equipped to excel against talented defensive backs in the NFL. Feedback from contacts in the NFL, including Daniel Jeremiah, reinforces positive reports on Wilson's Senior Bowl performance. 
Despite being part of a run-first offense at Michigan, Wilson had notable achievements, including 107 receptions for 1,707 yards and 22 touchdowns in his college career. Uh, Wilson's versatility and ability to contribute in various facets of the game, such as carrying the ball and creating opportunities in short areas, make him a valuable addition to any NFL team's wide receiver group. He stood out as a top performer among wide receivers at the Senior Bowl, impressing with his route running speed and excellent hands. And then consistent performance and ability to create separation finish plays underscores his potential impact at the next level. So Roman Wilson has jumped up only six spots so far, but is currently sitting at 76 overall. I would be surprised just based on the reports if he doesn't end up as a second round pick. Should be noted, however, another small guy. There are a lot of big wide receivers in this draft class, but none of them have really <laughs> made their mark yet. But 5'10", 186. Um, maybe Tank Dell is going to change the perception on some of these guys, um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, looking at the running backs, I mean, as I said, there were two running backs that I really liked, aside from you know the, the stud out of Texas, sort of later round guys that I liked, and that's Lauby and Ray Davis out of Kentucky. Both of those guys shined at the Senior Bowl. So we'll start with Ray Davis because he wasn't quite as uh, highlighted. But Ravis, uh, Ravis. Davis demonstrated excellent footwork, vision, acceleration, and receiving skills, positioning himself as a versatile back capable, capable of contributing in various aspects of the game. He stood out even in non-contract drills with a one-handed catch and full effort reps. His combination of elusiveness and power confirmed him as one of the most complete backs in Mobile. And then here's a, a note on Mr. Lauby. It says, The New Hampshire star is gaining more fans this week. Lauby carried a broad muscular build. He showed off his speed to, to turn the corner during a wide-flowing run on Tuesday and beat Washington State cornerback Chow Wade Smith on a post-corner as a wide during one-on-one -on -one drills on Wednesday. So there, there was quite a bit of talk about him being used kind of in a third-down role, possibly being split out at the, in, in a slot position says he's worked at his craft as a slot receiver. There you go. And it showed last season with 68 catches for 699 yards and seven receiving touchdowns. There is often a concern about whether small school players will be able to handle the jump in competition in Mobile, but Senior Bowl Executive Director Jim Nagy nailed it with the invitation for Lauby as he fits right in from a talent and confidence standpoint. It's also a little bit of talk about Rasheen Ali out of Marshall, another smallish school guy. Says Ali, impressed with his agility and vision, navigating through tight spaces between tackles and demonstrating competence in the pass game, both in receiving and pass protection. And then finally, some East-West Shrine. Frank Gore Jr. was named the offensive MVP of the East-West Shrine Bowl. He showcased his explosive running ability, accumulating 87 yards on just six carries, including a standout 49-yard touchdown. Despite being just 5'8", 195, and not playing in a Power 5 conference, Gore Jr.'s performance in the bowl game highlighted his potential as a sleeper draft pick, possibly moving him up to an early selection on day three of the NFL draft. So early fourth round-ish. Then looking at some of the offensive linemen, Christian Jones out of Texas says he excelled in one-on-ones uh, using his wingspan and footwork to neutralize outside rushers. His congenial personality made him a favorite among peers, further boosting his draft stock with strong performances against both speed and power rushes. Now, might seem minor, but when I see that, it kind of makes my ears perk up. My eyes perk up. I don't know. Sounds like he's just kind of a fun guy. Christian Jones out of Texas is uh, currently sitting at 130, so it would not be a really big investment to uh, take a swing at him. Uh, Kingsley Suamataya did not do himself any favors out of BYU. Said he really struggled um, with some of the edge speed, contrasting media expectations of athleticism and violence. So there's a lot of talk that he's probably going to have to get kicked inside. Patrick Paul out of Houston, who's sitting at 42 right now, 
kind of mid-second round. It says, he emerged as a potential day two steal. He's praised for his pass protection capabilities, even when compared to top prospects in his class. His lean build at 335 and athleticism in both pass protection and run blocking highlighted him as a versatile talent. There is speculation Pittsburgh could significantly benefit by targeting Paul, possibly even moving up in the second round to secure him. I like when we start getting some of those team-specific rumors. Watch out for the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up to get him. Uh, Tyler Guyton out of Oklahoma. This is a late first-round guy, so this is somebody to keep an eye on, possibly for the Packers in the first round. Says he impressed with his physical attributes uh, and on-field performance throughout the Senior Bowl. His combination of size, length, athleticism, and competitive spirit stood out, especially in drills where he showcased potential despite needing technical refinement. His ceiling has teams considering him for a first-round selection based on his showing. Dominated the first day of the Senior Bowl practice. Second day wasn't as clean, but still projected as a future first-round selection. And then finally for the tackles, something-something Fuaga. (laughs) Talise Fuaga, or whatever it is. So Fuaga is probably out of our range. He's currently projected to go around 15, and I don't think the Senior Bowl made it any more likely that we're going to end up getting him. Just says right out of the gate, proved to be the best overall player at the Senior Bowl, demonstrating power and agility in the run game. His versatility and skill set sparked discussions of top 10 draft potential. No need to talk about anything else. Um, On the interior, nobody really had any negative marks. Uh, Christian Hayes, Christian Mahogany, Delmar Glaze, Dominic Puny, and Layden Robinson. I'm not going to go through all their notes because I'm kind of just getting burned out on reading all this stuff. But they all pretty much say the same thing. They impressed with their run and pass blocking ability, et cetera, et cetera. But for centers, uh, potential Josh Myers replacements and whatnot, there actually was a little bit of interesting news. Uh, Of the two guys that were talked about, Bo Limmer, Limmer, I guess, I don't know, center out of Arkansas. I guess there were a lot of mixed reports. Some people think that his stock jumped. Some people think that um, kind of took a hit. But Jackson Powers Johnson, he did have a bit of a setback with uh, injuries. He suffered a hamstring injury on the second day of the Senior Bowl. However, everything that everybody's ever said about Jackson Powers Johnson, he essentially assured everybody. So assuming the hamstring is okay, he looks like he's going to be a real versatile piece. And it's not just center. I mean, he, he, he can play center or guard. So even if you're not completely sold on, on specifically center, anybody looking for an interior guy, I feel like Jackson Powers Johnson is um, at or at least near the top of everybody's rankings. All right, I think that's all the offensive positions. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back and go through some of the defensive players, and then we'll get up out of here. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So looking at the interior defensive line, uh, Braden Fisk, it's going alphabetical order. Defensive lineman out of Florida State, kind of seen as a third-ish round prospect. Sort of mixed reviews. A lot of people were real excited about his movement ability, et cetera, et cetera. But for some people, they were pretty disappointed, especially with his shorter arm length, basically making it sound like there was a lot of high hopes for him and he didn't necessarily meet expectations. But consistent hard work, first step explosiveness, raw power, plenty of stuff there that somebody will get excited about. But I guess the short arms are going to kind of scare some people off. A little bit more of a late round guy, Gabe Hall, impressed a lot of people at the Senior Bowl, especially day one of practice. He had a lot of wins in uh, run defense and pass rush, the 1v1s, as well as um, the team drills. One of the notes says he made a significant impression with his burst strength and pass rush planning, particularly dominant during Tuesday's team session. He established himself as a disruptive force on the interior, garnering attention and likely resulting uh, in a rise on draft boards. Then we get to Jerzon Newton. I kind of talked about this very briefly. He wasn't at the Senior Bowl, but um, some of the notes as things got passed around, it sounds like the media has Jerzon Newton really, really hyped up, but the NFL kind of views him more as a second-round pick. It says, despite his effectiveness as an interior pass rusher with 13 sacks over two seasons, concerns about his run defense, unusual body type for his position, and inconsistent effort have affected his evaluation. While strong pre-draft performances could enhance his draft position, given the challenges of finding capable interior pass rushers, current team assessments suggest Newton might be more likely to be selected on the second day of the draft. So, expect him to be available when the Packers are picking at pick 25. Not saying expect to get him, because I don't think we're going to select Jerzon Newton, but um, just be prepared for that and prepare for him to slide right past us. Uh, Some general praise for Keith Randolph, also out of Illinois. He's currently projected to be at 132, as well as Christian Boyd out of Northern Iowa. Boyd is uh, currently sitting at 812 on the big board, so, you know, we'll see if his Senior Bowl um, performance kind of puts him on the map a little bit. But uh, McKinley Jackson, unfortunately, kind of went the other way. It says Jackson had a tough start to the Senior Bowl practice, particularly noticeable in a play where he was pancaked by a double team. Says he did kind of turn that around a little bit, but overall, maybe not the best performance for him. Michael Hall out of Ohio State had a good day. He's projected currently as a second round pick. Some more general positive notes for Trajan Jeffcoat out of Arkansas. But the uh, defensive lineman of the day was Tavondre Sweat. Says Sweat may have been the week's most dominant player, particularly shining during day three. His performance in position drills suggested he could be a late first round pick due to his dominance. It is a little bit interesting with Tavondre Sweat because, I mean, we've seen big guys like that go in the first round, but generally they are also pass rushers, right? They are Vita Vea, you know, just dominant interior guys, but they can get to the quarterback. And I don't know that Sweat can do that, but if teams are watching this and thinking that he can be that dude, then he could make it up to, I mean, where was Vea? He was around, what, 10-ish? Would assume that's kind of the ceiling for that kind of thing, if that's even valued as much anymore. But I am a little surprised to hear that he may slide into day one. 
being that generally the really big, strictly run defender types are at the earliest, if they're very, very good, um, probably earliest to mid-second round. For the edge rush group, uh, one of the guys that stood out was Austin Booker, edge rusher out of Kansas. He actually is already moving up on the big boards. He's jumped up 10 spots. Grayson Murphy, by the way, 55 spots. I don't know. Do I have a note about him? I don't think so. I don't know why he's moving up. Somebody just noticed him. He wasn't at the Senior Bowl. But uh, Austin Booker, currently sitting at 124 overall, says his raw but tantalizing skill set, including speed, agility, and an array of pass rush moves, made him a statement player against seasoned tackle prospects. His decision to declare early for the draft seems justified based on his potential and hinted at a top 60 selection. So somebody to keep an eye on because, you know, this is a guy that's not on a lot of people's radar right now. People looking at him as maybe a, you know, day three pick possibly. And based on what people are seeing there at the Senior Bowl, Austin Booker could be a second round guy. Some sort of general praise for Jalen Harrell, um, Justin Iboigby out of Alabama. No idea how to say the guy's name. And then Leitu Latu, quite a bit to say about him, probably mostly because he's an early prospect, so there was more to say. I know there were some videos that were not super flattering that came out about Latu, and he did suffer a minor leg injury during practice, but still, most of the notes are positive. However, the positive note, the, the mover and shaker of the day was Darius Robinson. Now, there's debate about edge or interior, I guess. Mock Draft Database has him at number 58 as a defensive lineman. PFF has him as an edge rusher, so I just put him as an edge rusher. I don't know. But lots and lots of positives about Darius Robinson. Robinson was highlighted as the most impressive or best defensive lineman, showing prowess and pass rushing from various alignments. His performance addressed pre-existing concerns about his abilities, although his fit with the Raiders might be limited due to his similarity to Tyree Wilson. We got he dominated day two. Most consistent pass rusher in Mobile, effectively uses length and showcase a variety of moves. Robinson emerged as a breakout player, showcasing his effectiveness with multiple alignments and proving to be the most consist- consist- consistent effective pass rusher. And then it says uh, he's going to be a likely top 50 selection. So again, he's currently sitting at 58. He's likely to continue to rise. Either way, um, he is at worst a second round pick. Potentially somebody to keep an eye on for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, even if he's sitting at 50, 45, whatever, that's where the Packers usually grab out of anyways, um, just coincidentally. So if he really is a, uh, a solid edge that the Packers think could be a good addition for what we're looking to do, um, I know we've already got guys. I know we have Rashawn and Preston and Lucas Van Ness that we're hoping can take a big jump, but certainly something to keep an eye on. The only linebacker talked about was J.D. Bertrand, at least that I found uh, out of Notre Dame. And uh, quite a few positives. Bertrand's coverage of a large area trail co- coverage and ability to remain unblocked showcased his linebacker skills. His pursuit angles and reactions in non-tackling drills underscored its potential to make an immediate impact in the NFL. So right now he's sitting at 224, but if you're telling me this is a linebacker that can make an immediate impact in the NFL, I don't see him going at, you know, seventh round. Then we get to corner, which is obviously something that a lot of Packer fans are looking at. And I think there were a lot of really good, a lot of really good corners. I'm just working my way through right now, as I've been talking about. Um, Nobody had, well, I shouldn't say nobody's caught my eye. I just got to Cooper DeGene and obviously I'm a fan of his. But anyway, some of the names that popped up, Cam Hart out of Notre Dame, currently sitting at 118. A lot of people really gushing over him. Hart had a significant impact through the week with his performance peaking by day three, solidifying his position as a top cornerback talent. 
I mean, I don't even know if this guy's top 20 according to the consensus board right now. And that's not to say that that's, that necessarily means anything. I just really think I'm starting to get the impression this is a very strong class. I mean, Terry and Arnold did just take the, the top spot. Kool-Aid McKinstry, Nate Wiggins, Cooper DeGene, and Quinion Mitchell. I mean, that's five guys that I think most people would assume are really talented. Um, I haven't gotten a ton into a lot of these other guys, but I've seen Rake Straw mock to the Packers, Lassiter. Um, I've seen some people talk up TJ Tampa. Obviously, Max Melton's been getting a ton of hype recently. Kyrie Jackson out of Oregon, and now you got Cam Hart all the way down here at 118, and probably 10 guys I just skipped to get down here. But it goes on to say, Hart's size and physical metrics combined with his mobility and physicality in one-on-one reps highlighted his standout performance, particularly effective against top competition. Hart has solidified his status as a highly intriguing cornerback prospect with significant upside. Uh, Just one note about Carlton Johnson. He apparently had a really nice pick off Spencer Rattler. Not much else aside from that. Same with uh, Chow Wade Smith. He had a pick day two. Then we get to Jarius Monroe. Jarius Monroe is a cornerback out of Tulane, all the way down at 197. He was at the East-West Shrine game and earned the defensive MVP honors, making a significant impact with a fourth-quarter interception to seal the Western team's victory, standing at 6-2 and 205. Monroe's interception capped a week of impressive practice performances and likely enhanced his draft prospects. With a college record of six interceptions, one sack, and a forced fumble over 27 games with Tulane, Monroe presents a playmaking defensive back who could be a valuable day three pick. Quite a few notes also on Jarvis Brownlee out of Louisville. He's a little bit further down at 275. Apparently, there's some questions about his ability to cover speed, but I guess in terms of physicality, um, he ranks up there with some of the best. And it really showed what he could do, especially in the red zone. Now, personally, I don't know if that's going to fit what we're looking to do. I really tend to think speed is going to be somewhat at a premium. I don't know that. That just seems intuitive to me based on what I've heard about what these corners need to do. But still... Uh, some negatives about Kalen King is one of the guys I did watch, somewhat of a smaller slot guy. Um, I personally was not a huge fan of Kalen King. And although there was one positive note about him day one, final note said, um, had a notably poor week, appearing disengaged and lacking in physicality. Despite promising tape, King's performance in Mobile has potentially moved him closer to a round three draft position. Kyrie Jackson, who I already mentioned, out of Oregon, uh, nothing really mentioned other than His physical measurements and weigh-ins had people kind of drooling over him a little bit. But then the man of the day was uh, Quinion Mitchell. And I would have to spend the next hour talking about all the notes that I have for him. Uh, Mitchell continued to stand out, securing another interception and consistently winning in drills. His performance, coupled with a sub-4-4 40-yard dash time, significantly boosts his stock, potentially making him Toledo's first first first-round pick since 1993. Something interesting that was talked about, um, let me just read a snippet. It says, he entered week one squarely on the radar for scouts with his combination of size and game field, but it's different when you see him in person. Mitchell utilizes a lot of trap coverage techniques off of press where he makes an early leverage declaration and forces the receiver to release outside. Sounds familiar. From there, he has shown off the speed and body control to stay in phase with receivers and has the physicality to close off the catch space. I mean, this is... This is this is perfect. During one matchup against USC's Brennan Rice, Mitchell played from trail and simply closed the distance on a post route before leaping and grabbing an interception in the end zone. He should be in the discussion for CB1 this year. <laughs> My goodness. I told you we're not getting this guy. Most impressive secondary player. 
fantastic week, significantly boosted his draft stock. So we'll see. We'll see how much uh, he rises. I'll be stunned. Um, I have to assume we're going to have to trade up if we want to get Quinion Mitchell, and I'm not going to be mad about it if we do. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe jumping the gun a little bit because I haven't really watched him myself aside from snippets that I've seen on social media, which, of course, when you're grading off of highlights, it can be a problem. But still, a uh, guy gets me excited. And then, unfortunately, only one note for a safety, and that's uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson. He is a safety out of Texas Tech, currently sitting at 225 overall. But it says uh, Demerson stood out as a defensive leader, showcasing intelligence, leadership qualities, and playmaking ability. His early week performance caught the attention of scouts, and his interactions with coaches and players only further boosted his stock, emphasizing his leadership intangibles alongside his on-field skills. So, might be somebody worth taking a look at. He might not be a, you know, first, second, third round guy, but he might be that Packers sixth round guy that everyone else says nobody's ever heard of, but we know. That was East-West Shrine, by the way, not uh, Senior Bowl. But that's it, man. That's all I got. So, I'm going to leave it at that. That's all the notes. In fact, I need to get back on the horse and see what else has been going on. I kind of took a couple days off after that, but got to get into what's going on with some of the team, team notes and whatnot keep up with all this stuff but you guys have a good rest of your day i will talk to you tonight tomorrow whatever have a good one bye-bye